This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by HCJ Contacts. Good morning, good afternoon, good day, depending on what time zone you're in. So, you know, thanks for sharing your time and thanks for joining us on Zoom or on Facebook or on YouTube or on LinkedIn. Uh, it's always good to see you guys. For those who joined us before, welcome back. And to those for whom this is the first time, welcome. Good to see you. And hopefully I look, uh, I look forward to some interesting uh, questions at the end uh, or comments as well. So... Historically, what we would have done is started off with like a presentation and then go into Q&A, but I found that the, the audience has become progressively sophisticated. So what I just tend to do right now is just dive straight into it. So for those who sent your questions in advance, thank you. So I'll go through them in the order in which they receive. I'm sure we will have time at the end of those and those who have logged on to the various platforms feel free to type your questions in the, the boxes below. And I, again, I'll get to them in the order in which they are submitted. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So the first question, someone she's asked, if a non-American, so a non-US citizen, a non-green card holder, they were working in the US, and they've given up their whatever their work permit, their work visa was. Please. So they've she surrendered her work permit or work visa, and she's since left the U.S. She she was awarded certain uh, shares which vested after she left the, the United States. So the question is, are those taxable? Well, unfortunately, they will be taxable by the U.S. So the, and typically speaking, of course, the exceptions to every rule, but typically uh, taxes are recognized and reported and taxes paid when shares are vested, not when uh, they are awarded to you. So when they actually vest, then you have the ability to liquidate them or do whatever you like with them, transfer them or whatever. So then they become taxable. So Unfortunately, very bad news, but if you have worked in the US and you suspect, we see this a lot with certain technology companies and, and you leave and you return to your home country, your home jurisdiction, the shares in the US company that were awarded to you while you were in US soil working for that employer, they will still be taxable by the US even though you're, not, you're no longer there. Typically payroll teams are helpful in that they would make arrangements for you uh, to and help you with the withholding so that you you can you know still be they can basically go through the admin for you of deducting whatever the relevant amount in is and paying it to the internal revenue service but if that has not been done then you should contact your preferred u.s tax professional and file the relevant return so sorry but yeah moving on next question okay uh, this person is a social media influencer and YouTuber, and they're asking where you're going to be taxed. If you are, there are two scenarios, right? So there's a scenario in which you are a U.S. person when you're not, right? And I'm, I'm assuming you're outside of the U.S. 
if you're outside of the US and you are a US person, then you will, you're subject to taxes and your worldwide income, no matter how long you remain outside of the US, you cannot have a tax residency with the US until you surrender your passport or your green card. So you still require to file US tax returns. And on that US tax return, you will declare the income that you make from the sponsorships or from the platforms, whatever the case may be, right? So it will be fully taxable by the US. And depending on where you are, and depending on whether you trigger tax residency wherever you are right now outside of the US, you will be required to pay taxes there. Of course, the question is, well, you know, how is that jurisdiction going to figure it out? Well, the enforcement, that's another conversation. But legally, if you are tax resident in most jurisdictions and you're working, even when you're working online and you're a tax resident, you need to check with a tax professional because more times than not, uh, you will be subject to tax by that jurisdiction. Now, the second category, because I remember the, set, the first one is if you're a U.S. passport or U.S. passport, so you're a citizen or green card holder, that's how it plays out. If you are not a U.S. citizen or U.S. green card holder, i.e. you're not a U.S. tax resident, you're not subject to U.S. taxes and you reside outside, then you just need to think about where you're tax resident, right? So uh, wherever it is, again, I said most time, more times than not, if you are a tax resident in a given jurisdiction and you're earning money there online or whatever, it, it would be subject to some sort of reporting, uh, some sort of declaration. So you need to check with someone who is qualified tax-wise in the jurisdiction which you find yourself. Now, some platforms, for example, and more specifically, so most popularly YouTube, which is perhaps the biggest of, of the group, they have started making compliance easier in that they are looking at where, the, where you as a, a, a creator, a content creator, where's your content being consumed? And if it's being consumed in the United States, they can apportion the amount that is attributable to your viewers in the United States. And right. they so they will withhold uh, 30%. Now, if you're in a jurisdiction with a treaty with the US, like most of Europe, for example, uh, most of Latin America, well, most of Latin America, uh, you may be able to file a return and you may get some of that money back because of the double tax treaty, what it sometimes does it, it may make you subject to reduced withholding. So you'd need to speak to a tax professional about that. So I hope that answers your question as a content creator, as a social media influencer, as a YouTuber, where you're gonna be taxed. Uh, the two scenarios being either you are US exposed and you reside outside, or you're not US exposed and you reside outside. If you're US exposed and you reside outside, you're gonna declare it on your US tax returns as you normally do and be, mindful whether you do trigger tax residency in whichever jurisdiction you reside outside of the US. If so, it may need to be declared. In the second scenario, you are not a US person, then you only need to be considering the jurisdiction in which you reside. But also certain platforms, for example, YouTube, they will withhold the amount attributable to the US audience because then it's deemed to have been derived from the US. So I hope that helps. Okay, uh -huh. crypto, uh, you know, the 
quite a number of you that are into crypto, hence the questions that we get on it. If I am a crypto investor, where am I taxed? So I'm going to assume that, again, it's similar to the social media question asked previously. There are two categories. I'm assuming that because you're on this live stream or you've asked this question that you are US exposed. You have a US passport, you have a green card and you're international, right? So you're outside of the US. So where are you gonna be taxed? You need to declare this on your tax return. So as I mentioned earlier, no matter how much time you spend outside of the US, if you are still in possession of that US passport or you're still in possession of that green card, even if the green card has expired, or even if you lost it, unless you surrender it in the right way, that green card and you get the I-407, or unless you surrender your US passport in the right way and you get a CLN, a certificate of loss of nationality, you will be subject to tax and your worldwide income. And that includes your crypto investments, even if it's on an exchange or if it's done outside of the US. It doesn't matter to you, tax and your worldwide income. Okay, hope that helps. Uh, yeah, that's where you're taxed. No, okay, the next question is how are crypto investors taxed? And again, I'm assuming that you are US exposed given uh, we're in a US tax live stream. So most uh, accountants or tax professionals who work with crypto investors and crypto traders will tell you that from an investor perspective, we're guided by two IRS notices, one that was issued in 2014 and the other in 2019. One in 2014, I think it's 2014-21 and that notice 20-1421 and then subsequently ruling 2019-24. So that's really where most people get their guidance. So the first one in 2014 basically told all of us, as I'm sure you were, that crypto is not a currency. It is to be looked at as property. So Therefore, it'll be subject to the rules that are attributable to property, you know, that have always been in existence, right? So if you buy and then sell within a year, the short-term capital gains, which are basically ordinary tax rates, which top off at this point at 37%. If it is that you hold and then you dispose or you, there's a liquidity event or there's a taxable event more specifically, uh, after a year of holding, then you're subject to taxes, then you're subject to long-term capital gains. Please remain muted. Thank you. Then you're subject to long-term capital gains. All right, so I'm just, so I'm just changing the, yeah, okay. Then you're subject to, to long-term capital gains. Uh, just to be clear, the taxable events as disclosed in ruling 2019-24, would be when you convert crypto to fiat, that's obvious and everybody knew that, right? But also when you trade one crypto for another, so crypto to crypto as a taxable event, if you spend crypto to purchase goods or services, you need to be uh, talking to your tax professional because that may be a taxable event as well. And when you earn crypto as income, because I, we have many clients that are paid in crypto. So it's all taxable under US tax rules. So hope that helps. I'm moving down to the next series of questions. And again, for those who have just joined, feel free to type in the box below what your questions may be. 
and we'll get to them in the order in which they are received. Thank you. So next question, what are acceptable ways of calculating capital gains in your crypto, right? So that's assuming that you're an investor, not a trader. So you, it's about buy and hold. Basically, you everyone knew about FIFO. So like FIFO was seen first in, first out. So implicit in this is that I know it's really hard sometimes, but you have to keep track of each trade. There's no way around it. You have to keep track of each trade. Otherwise, you're going to be in no end of hurt from a tax perspective when it comes to actually calculating and reporting. So everyone knew FIFO first in, first out. And that was seen as like being very prudent. And that is completely acceptable. That's universal standard FIFO. But since 2019, I think, people have been comfortable with LIFO and HIFO as well. So LIFO is last in, first out, or HIFO, highest in, first out. So I think when you're speaking with your chosen task professional, you, legally you can use either of those three options for calculating what your gains would be. But depending on your trading strategy, one may work for you better than the other or market conditions or whatever. So again, speak to your tax professional and see what fits your specific situation. Next question. Again, lots of crypto questions. Thanks for asking. Uh, how can I keep be more tax efficient in my crypto activity? As I kind of hinted of, uh, in, in response to the previous question, the major, as, and I'm telling you stuff you guys already know, but just to point out the perfectly obvious, you need to keep track of every trade. So you're going to have a, a detailed spreadsheet or some sort of documentation that you, that, you know, you can keep track. You've sold something. When did you purchase? What was the value in fiat at that point in time? So each trade, and that's not just crypto to fiat, but crypto to crypto, you know, everything needs to be kept track of. And that includes drops and any sort of transaction, forks, drops, uh, everything. Please keep track of them. Right. Hope that helps. Uh, okay. Next question. Okay, this person is not an investor, but a crypto trader. Okay. So first of all, so they've identified themselves as a crypto trader. So just for those who may be unfamiliar with what he's talking about, they there's... When you look at the IRS, the, the, the revenue tax rules and the tax code, it's hard to really pick up what a trader is versus an investor. So, I mean, intuitively, you, you know that someone is a trader. If there's some, this is not something that they're doing on the side, in addition to their nine to five, this is their, their full-time gig. This is their full-time focus. Uh, that's what a trader is. And we know that intuitively, but in terms of the IRS rules, uh, when you look at case law, because you have to rely on, on cases that have gone before the lower courts, what they are are like three indices that will indicate uh, a trader, someone who's a trader rather than an investor. And that's important because you may be able to treat your trading activity 
in a more tax. I mean, as a trader, you can still, if you want, you can still use the, uh, you can treat your investments like the investor, right? Uh, uh, so someone who holds on a shorter, for longer periods and they're not as focused as you are as a trader. But there's certain tax advantages to the trader election that makes it attractive. And it's not suitable to everybody. But if you do trigger trader status, uh, it can work in your favor from a tax perspective. This is why people are quite curious, including this person who asked this question, right? So what does it mean to be a crypto trader about versus an investor? First of all, you there's an intent to carry on a trade or business. So again, it's not something you, you do on weekends, not something you do after, after your nine to five. There's an intent to carry this out as a, you know, your main trade or business. Secondly, uh, the buying and selling is frequent and continuous. So frequent and continuous. So we have people that do just like a few trades a day and we have high frequency traders that do hundreds of thousands of trades per day, algo, algo traders. So it has to be frequent and continuous and that's relative. I know it's not definitive, but that's, that's what the, that gives you a sense as to what the rules are. Now, the third one is it must be profit seeking from short-term price swings rather than interest dividends and capital appreciation. So you're looking to benefit from what you're looking, yeah, you're basically looking to make income or derive a profit from short-term swings or arbitrage between different, and in this case, in the case of crypto, uh, different uh, coins. So yeah, so I hope that helps. So once you trigger those three, you are considered a trader and you're able to basically, it gets taxed as a business, uh, especially if you do it incorporated. We normally advise our traders to use a company. Uh, some use companies in jurisdictions like Central America, like Panama is pretty popular, uh, as well as some use Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico is super popular, as you know, for crypto, but uh, Cayman Islands, or, you know, depending on whichever jurisdiction you are, because if you're outside of the US, you are somewhere and you need to be conscious of their rules as well. And that may Im impact on your choice of jurisdiction for incorporation. But uh, yep, so we, the point is that you normally do the trading through a, an entity rather than in your own name, but you can do it in your own name, but normally through an entity. And you may benefit from lower taxes, generally speaking that's, you know, that accrue to the entity, but it, it really depends on the jurisdiction. It depends on whether there's a tax treaty in play and it depends on how the money comes out, uh, whether you, you check the box and it could be, it could just flow through onto your 1040 or if uh, you take it out as dividends or salary or whatever the case may be. So there are a number of strategies that you'll speak to your preferred tax advisor and normally you'd run some scenarios to see what works best for you. Hope that helps. Okay, scrolling down, scrolling down. Yes, uh, I'm seeing you um, writing questions. I'll, I'll get to you as soon as we work through these questions. Thanks to those who are still submitting questions. We're seeing you, thank you. So if I get a second passport or residency somewhere else outside of the US and I'm an American citizen, can I stop paying US taxes? Now that, Surprisingly common question, and unfortunately, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you should not. 
because even though you may have a second passport and I know Caribbean is super popular right now, or you have a second residency, whether you are in Barbados or you're in Panama or you're in Portugal or you somewhere else in Bali, Indonesia, wherever you are, you're still subject to taxes in the United States. So you still must file and pay your taxes to Uncle Sam. As I mentioned before, the way around that is you must surrender your U.S. passport. I know that's a huge step, but we help probably three or four clients every month give up their passports or green cards. So you need to surrender U.S. passport and get a CLN, a certificate of loss of nationality to evidence this, and then you'll be free. Except for U.S. source income will still be taxed, but your worldwide income would not be subject to U.S. taxes. Alternatively, if you have a green card, you're a lawful permanent resident, you need to surrender that green card and get an I-47 to evidence that you have done this, and then you will sever U.S. tax residency. And unless and until that happens, you are under the, you know, under the U.S. tax laws as they apply today. Sorry. And another question, can you recommend a few jurisdictions where none, oh, I'm, Okay, well, yeah, assuming that you give up your US passport or green card, right? And then you become a non-American. Where can you live full-time and run a business without paying individual or corporate taxes? You know, head and shoulders above the rest right now and super popular with us so much so that we uh, set up an office there is the United Arab Emirates. Uh, and, and the most popular of these seven Emirates is, of course, Dubai one of the seven, but you, by getting residency, you set up your company, you get residency in one, you're, you're entitled to move freely and live in any of the seven. Kind of like states within the same, same federal uh, republic, like the United States, right? So Dubai and the Emirates are super popular. Uh, speak to your chosen professional about which Emirates you wanna set up in and which free trade zone, because the way it works is that you pick not one of the seven Emirates, but you pick one of the 45 or so free trade zones and you, you form your offshore company there to do, you know, yeah, to do your crypto, to do whatever it is you're doing online or internationally. And that company, you're able to sponsor your own work permit and that of your, your colleagues, your family or whatever the case may be. So, but there, there's a bit, it's a bit tricky, right? Because you have like 45 free trade zones and the prices vary dramatically. I mean, it is a huge difference between the cheapest one and the most expensive one. And you need to, you don't just automatically jump and pick the cheapest one. I know, I know a lot of people who've done it and then they feel some pain afterwards because there's certain implications as to where you form your company uh, which free trade zone you choose to, to use. So speak to an advisor as always before you jump in the deep end. So thank you. I'll go on to some more questions now. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Okay, I'm going to hide. All right, so I can see it better. I am a U.S. citizen and will soon begin working for a non-U.S. company outside of the U.S., Okay, so U.S. citizen working outside of the U.S. for just a non-American company. I do not live in the U.S., right? Got it. I haven't worked since before I was married. I am married to a non-U.S. citizen. Okay, so gotcha. Does it make sense to just file as a single person? Okay, so legally, you that would 
probably not be the correct way because that will be misrepresenting your filing status. So basically, in terms of your filing status, it would be single, single, married filing separately, married filing jointly, head of household and widow, right? So let's stick with the first four. If it is you are legally not single, you should not really be filing a single. You can elect to file jointly with your non-US spouse, which some people do for strategic reasons. Uh, we invoke section 6013G for that because it may be to your benefit as a couple, even though that person is not American to bring them into the tax net. It is a radical choice that you should do in concert with a tax advisor, but it sometimes works. That's, that's, that's a, a card that you cannot ignore. It can be played. But ordinarily speaking, you will file married filing separately. However, if you do have a child, whether biologically or by adoption, and if that child is a U.S. person with a social, then you can also file head of household. And of course, head of household is you get the same tax bans as married filing jointly. So from a tax efficiency perspective, you, you should be looking at head of household if you have dependent kids. Otherwise, it's married filing separately. So... Blah, blah, blah. I have all my accounts separate from my husband. Well, we also have two kids which are US citizens. So I think, again, uh, you need to consult, consult your preferred US tax advisor, but typically head of household is way more tax efficient than married filing separately. And filing a separate is probably not the legal way. So hope that helps. Uh, scrolling down to the next question. Hi. I triggered substantial presence in 2020 to 2021. So last year and this year due to the pandemic. Yeah, a lot of people did. We had some, yeah, we had quite a few clients who accidentally triggered substantial presence in the U.S. because of the, the health situation, right? Uh, blah, blah, blah. There, but this person is not American and he or she's asking, do I need to file taxes for the next calendar year? I don't have income in the U.S. I was stuck there due to a lack of flights. Now you, I mean, this happened all over the world. Now there have been, depending on jurisdiction you were in, there's some allowances and or whatever. So I think you should check with your tax advisor. But generally speaking, if you did trigger substantial presence last year, so 2020 and 2021, you should have filed a return for 2020 on your worldwide income. And if you also triggered substantial presence for 2021, then yes, in 2022, you should be filing a U.S. tax return for 2021. So, yeah, probably not the answer you wanted to hear, but that's, that's the way U.S. taxes work, unfortunately. But it may be worth speaking with an advisor to see, you know, because the IRS did issue some, some notices, I believe, that may allow some slight wiggle room. So please check with that. And don't forget, if you're in one of the states that does have a state income tax, a state tax return may be due as well. So keep that in mind. Next question. Do you have a recommended tax professionals or tax partner in the Philippines? Uh, yes, we do. We do have uh, an affiliate office in Ortigas in Metro Manila. So please feel free to 
contact us directly, just email help at htj.tax. That's help at htj.tax. And we will look after you. Make sure your requirements in the US and if needed, the Filipino perspective are done properly. Okay, next question. So Joe's asking, I'm a, U I'm a dual citizen, US and another country with a tax treaty. And thanks for indicating that, Joe, that that's really important. And I've been living outside of the US for many years. My income comes from a non-US company. Do I still need to file US taxes? Joe, unfortunately, yes, you do. You will be required to file and pay taxes, obviously in the country in which you are resident, but also in the United States because you are a US citizen. And I think when you mentioned in your question that there's a tax treaty in play, uh, I can tell that you've been doing some reading, you've been checking this out. So you may want to speak with a, a firm that understands the international tax rules because sometimes when you just speak to a firm that's domestic to the US and no domestic taxes as opposed to international. So you want to speak to a firm that deals with international clients and who is aware of how to navigate the tax treaty. So that's not to just ensure that you are not taxed twice on the same income because you should get automatically credits for taxes paid outside of the US. You get taxes which should, um, you know, to some extent reduce your US taxes due. But also there are other articles in the treaty and depending on the nature of your income, it may even bring the taxes down further. So again, speak with an international tax team who's familiar with international tax issues, including leveraging that tax treaty. Good luck, Joe. Next question. Is it true that if I'm living and working outside of the US, I make less than hundred grand, I'm not taxed. I'm a US citizen. Sarah, that's a good question. Uh, it really depends. Now, what I think, that, that's a popular misconception. That's a popular, not a misconception, but a misunderstanding. So I'll take you back to the source. It comes from section 911 of the US tax code. And that speaks about something called the foreign earned income exclusion. And that my emphasis was deliberate on earned because if it is that, if you're making hundred grand or less, but that is earned income and you you may be able to enjoy the foreign earned income exclusion which to be honest is the best tax break available to u.s exposed persons u.s citizens and green card holders who reside and work outside of the u.s but it must be earned income so it does not include interest it doesn't include dividends it doesn't include uh you know basically unearned income so yeah so it's very, very specific. So to be, to be honest, it really, someone needs to sit with you and understand what is the nature of your income is the hundred grand that you're earning. Is that uh, like interest or is that dividends or is that earned income? So you performed a service or you're selling a product, you engage in some sort of business activity for which you, you're getting that in return. So if it is earned income, then you may be able to trigger the foreign income exclusion. And as the name suggests, you would exclude that income from U.S. taxes. Now, there are two ways of qualifying for that foreign in earned income exclusion, earned income. So the first is the one that everyone gets. So it's quantitative and objective. So that is the physical presence test. 
So once you stay out of the U.S. and you're not in U.S. airspace for more than 30 days in any calendar year, typically you will qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion under the physical presence test. The other one is subjective and qualitative, and that's the bona fide residence test. So that's more or less like a test of intent, like where's your center of life, where's your heart? And if your true home is in another jurisdiction, so your family's there, you, you, know, you own or you rent property there, you have a job there, uh, you pay bills there, you belong to social clubs, you know, whatever the case may be, that is genuinely where your life is right now then you may be able to enjoy that even if you cross 30 days in the US. So for example, you trap because of a lack of flights or whatever, you still may be able to enjoy it because of that bona fide residence test. But however you qualify as either physical presence or bona fide residence, once you do your first, well, it's actually, it moves higher with inflation. So uh, I think for last year, it was like 107,600 or something like that. So it goes up each year with inflation, but that income, will be sheltered from US taxes. So yes, speak to your tax advisor, but you still need to report it. So even though no taxes are payable, you still need to file a US tax return. The filing threshold for return is pretty low. I think for married filing separately, $5. If you made more than $5 outside of US. Again, no taxes may be due, but you may still have to file a return. Hope that helps. Okay, next. Okay, someone's asking, yeah, so in order to find out, you need to, to email help at htj.tax. That's help, help at htj.tax. Okay, any other questions? We've gone through all of those that I have received and I'm seeing. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to check on some of the other platforms. I've been reading so far off of Zoom. But I'm going to look at what people are asking. Okay. So for now, those who are on Facebook. So if you derive income from U.S. clients, but are not tax resident in the U.S., you're not a U.S. citizen, you're not a green card holder, but you derive income from U.S. clients, you live outside the U.S., can you qualify for the foreign income exclusion? Uh, Kim, that's a good question. So... If you are not resident in the U.S. Uh, and you have no, so you're not a U.S. tax resident. So if it is that you're not a tax resident, so you don't have a green card, you don't have a passport, you don't trigger substantial presence, then you're not a U.S. resident, you're not subject to taxes. So if it is that you derive income from U.S. clients, assuming that it's for services rendered, Oh, I'm sorry. So sorry, Kim, you corrected me. Okay. So you're not resident in the U.S., but you are a U.S. citizen. Okay, fine. So you're a U.S. citizen, you're outside, and your clients are in the U.S. Yes, you're still subject to, you can still enjoy the foreign earned income exclusion. If it is, you qualify under sec to Section 911 by virtue of the physical presence test, which we described before, or the bona fide residence test. So yes, you can, you can use Form 2555 and make sure that you exclude the first 107,000. Plus you get a housing deduction as well. So in some jurisdictions, we see that go up to like $150,000. So the first 150K of your income can be shielded from US taxes thanks to a combination of the foreign income exclusion plus the housing deduction, which is 
I mean, bond, this is the best deal for US persons who work outside of the US. So I hope that helps, Kim. Another question. As a Canadian investor investing in US real estate, what taxes do I have to consider? So great question, Luan. Luan, sorry, Luan. Uh, well, I'm assuming you're resident in Canada, so obviously you have Canadian taxes to think about, but obviously I'm assuming that you'll be familiar with that. Otherwise, we have an affiliate office in Toronto that we can introduce you to, and we work hand in glove with them to deal with clients that are exposed to both Canada and US taxes. But from a US real estate perspective, assuming that you're just a real estate investor, then you'll be subject to state taxes if you're in one of the states in which it's gonna be taxed. So you'll be subject to taxes at the state level and you'll be subject to taxes at the federal level. So yeah, and you'll also probably have local taxes. They're like local property taxes as well which depending on which jurisdiction you'll be in, it will be a calculation based on property values. So you have local taxes or property taxes. Then you have state taxes if you're in one of the states that does have a state income tax. And then you have the federal taxes. So you'll be looking at all three of those taxes. The, the best advice I, should, I can give you is do speak with someone who's US qualified and is familiar with international taxes but also the default is that the rental income is, in, is treated as what we call FDAP income, which is fixed, determinable, annual, and periodic. So it'll be subject to a, a certain percentage withholding, which will be 30% plus reduced by the US-Canada treaty. But you can get around, it's probably nine times out of 10, at least in our experience, it's more tax efficient if you elect to treat the rental property as a trade of business. So you, so you make um, the requisite election for it to be treated as ECI income, effectively connected income, effectively connected with a trade or business. Speak to your tax advisor, because that's, a, that's an, an easy way of getting real savings. In addition to which you can have uh, cost allocation studies and with a view to really leveraging depreciation to further bring down the, the, the taxable income. So you can do it on your own, but I strongly advise that you, you speak with, with a tax team that can help you do real estate investments. Okay. Okay, then now she's asking, does it matter if we're in an LLC or an individual? That's a good question. From a US tax perspective, an LLC does not confer any tax benefit. You're not gonna save money, despite what people say on YouTube, uh, people without a license on the line, of course. You're not gonna save any money from an LLC. An LLC is probably more for asset protection. So as you know, the US is a very litigious uh, society. So, you know, someone slips and falls, or find, worse yet, finds mold in your property, you know, mold is gold. So if something unfortunate happens, they have the right to come after, to come after you and whatever other assets you may hold, right? So to limit liability, we use what is called a limited liability company. As the name implies, it's about protection as well, protecting you. So that, that is the real benefit, asset protection from a tax perspective. The default uh, tax treatment for an LLC is that it is treated as a pass-through. 
So if you're investing on your own through an LLC, it's, you know, it just uh, flows on, well, it, it's, I won't say what schedule it's on, but you're going to be taxed in the same way as if you, there were no LLC. So no, there, there, there's, there's no benefit to it. It's purely about asset protection, but it is good principle. Don't hold investments like that in your own name. Seek the protection of a limited liability company. Get advice. All right. Any more questions? I'm just going to look on some of the other platforms. See what else people are asking. Okay, great. All right, nothing there. Okay, great stuff. Uh, again, any last questions? Otherwise, we can call it an early night, early day, early morning, depending on which time zone you're in. Okay, great. So I guess that's it. Thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for your attention. We do these live streams probably every week. So, yep. Sorry, there's a question. Jewel, your hand is raised. Please ask. Okay, I guess it's a false alarm. All right. Yeah, maybe he's clapping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right okay gotcha all right thanks thanks Jules so right so we do these live streams every week different topics and with different speakers as well uh together with myself so please feel free to have a look at hg.tax and join us anytime the topic is of interest to you if you want to follow up with us directly in any of the um opportunities or the uh issues raised please feel to email help at hgj.tax that is help at hgj.tax this has been recorded and it will be available on facebook linkedin youtube and probably 20 other podcast platforms itunes soundcloud you know google play wherever it is you get your favorite podcast this recording will be available there so you can listen to it again or you can recommend it to any of your colleagues or friends if you think it is appropriate to their situation but nothing we said here should be construed as advice. This was just a general conversation about general principles. If you want advice that's specific to your situation, there's no shortcut to speaking to a qualified professional. Again, thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Here are four ways we can help you. Number one, sign up for free webinars on U.S. Expat Taxes and International Entrepreneur Taxes at www.htj.tax. Number two, stream premium educational videos at www.htj.tax. Number three, contact us for tax optimization consult over Zoom. Number four, high net worth. We can quote for doing your U.S. international taxes returns. Our books and upcoming events are available at htj.tax. Please subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Email us at help 
at htj.tax to engage us to advise on international tax or business matters.